0: This program is brought to you by Jen Lee Productions. At JenLeeProductions.com, you can find resources to nourish and inspire, including home retreat kits, home study courses, books, and accessories. You can also join our free Emerging Icons video series, or sign up to get good mail the old-fashioned way, and receive our full-color, magazine-ish catalog in your mailbox. Jen Lee Productions. Hold the possibilities in your hands. I'm Jen Lee, and you're listening to Retrospective. Today, I'm so happy to be talking to my dear friend, Karen McClellan Gaisley, who's the author of Ritual and Rhythm A Guide to Creative Self Care. Hi, Karen. Hi. Karen lives in California, but I'm lucky enough to have her with me in Brooklyn. It's always so great to have you here. I I, feel
1: like I'm the lucky one.
0: I was thinking about how, just earlier tonight, about how most of the time when you have house guests, it's like more work for life. You know, it's kind of just extra work to host people. But every time you're here, I have the opposite panic where I, I have this crisis of thinking, how do I make it without
1: her? Like, how do I ever
0: (laughs) make it in life when she's gone? What will I do when she leaves?
1: That is very sweet of you to say.
0: Um, So I'm just always happy when we get to be together, and I'm pleased that we get to have this conversation um, to share Mm -hmm. with other friends and people in our community. Um, I think one of the reasons why... I feel like you're a very interesting voice to have in the creative self-care conversation is because of your career. And basically, through all the different places and forms that your job titles have taken, mm-hmm. the one common thread that's gone through your whole career is being of service.
1: Mm-hmm, right.
0: And I think... That whether people are involved in in activism or faith communities, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways that people are engaged in service-oriented mm-hmm. careers and right. social work. But one thing that that kind of work has in common is that it really costs something. It's it's mm-hmm. depl- it depletes something in you in a very particular way. Right. Than if you're. Um, a coffee shop, barista, right, right, or you're working in an office doing Mm -hmm. reports, and I know a lot of people don't make it for very long, Mm -hmm. even, like, some of the burnout rate, and people have to change into something else, right? because it's just hard to sustain. Yeah, it is. So, um, can you share a little bit about what that's like, and maybe tell us a bit about maybe some of the key moments in your journey that, um that really brought this concept of caring for yourself Mm. to the forefront. Because the other thing I noticed about people in careers having to do with service is that often they attract people who are drawn to taking care of other people and toughing it out themselves. Right. Like you don't think to care for yourself because you're usually surrounded by people who you feel like have a greater need Mm -hmm.
1: than you Than yours, yes. That's so true. Um, Well, I knew... That I would probably be doing something that involved um, service or some humanitarian work. Um, when I was very young, I in high school I did one of these uh, career skills tests, which was great. Um, they were helping at my high school. They were helping to encourage kids to think about going to university and this kind of thing. So it worked out really good because I came out you know, really high in, um, like social, like a social worker type career. Um, although I kind of wanted to do like space as well. So that was kind of funny, but, um, in my heart, I knew I would end up working with people. Like I just knew that. And so, but I had no paradigm for what that would look like or that I would even have to take care of myself in the midst of that or anything. So, I started out really eager and naive and passionate, you know, um, and thinking of things like maybe Peace Corps, where I could tie it in with travel or, you know, I would have dreams like that. Well, I ended up marrying somebody who um, wanted to pastor a church at some point. And even though that scared me a little bit, even back then. Um, I loved him and I felt like, okay, well, that's what he wants to do. And, you know, I can help support him in in that way. And, uh, but I didn't really understand what that was going to look like either. And as you say, uh, so rightly say, it takes its toll on you. If you are trying to do it with integrity, if you're trying to do it, um, as authentically as possible, you're trying to be yourself in the midst of that it it does take its toll on you and I think two years into um into it I into pastoring the small church I had two very young children and
0: and you were in a foreign country
1: I was in a foreign country thank you it, it finally it, had fi- I, it took a lot to culturally adjust I'm embarrassed to say that the country was (laughs) England because, because I, I always feel like when I say that out loud, I shouldn't have had such a huge cultural, um, um, shift, you know, inside, but it, it, like it was cold and wet and I was from, I'm from Los Angeles and so... When I say it out loud, it sounds really wimpy, but, you know, just, for other I people see, out there who, yeah. <laughs> you know, might have experienced like And I say that like because that.
0: I remember you telling me stories, because your husband is British, and I remember you telling me stories from that period of time, and how part of what was hard was that you had this cognitive dissonance, where in your mind you think because it's an English-speaking country... Yes. It shouldn't. I shouldn't have culture shocker. It shouldn't be precisely, that precisely. But like yeah. not being able to have a hot bath, right? And you know the damp and the housing. Mm-hmm. And, well, and and it really is like for
1: me, country. I was a Jane Austen fan. So you know, reading these novels and um, watching British stuff and thinking, oh, that's how my life would be if I could live in England. <laughs> you know, hopefully it resonates with people out there who were young and idealistic and fantasized about places like that but
0: so how was it really but
1: how it was really was that um we we moved there for my husband he had to reintegrate himself culturally he had been we had we had got married and li- and lived in Canada which wasn't as big a cultural shift you know that was that was actually a really wonderful experience for me was to live just over the border it felt like I wasn't far from home. Um, there weren't huge cultural, you know, gaps, and I just fell in love with Canada and Canadians. Um, and then I so I thought it was a natu- going to be a really natural, easy move to go to England. And um, but we were unemployed for a year, and this is what probably was the deal breaker on the situation was that um, we were living very low income. And so, um, the place where we were living was this cold, very old, I mean, you would be able to relate to because very similar structures as what are here in New York, but not as warm. So very damp and, um, it was just, it was really hard. I, you know, there weren't, there was no central heating. There were little tiny heaters in each room and so you would warm that room that you were going to be in and because it was so expensive you would only keep one room warm for the day and then it was so cold that at night i could see my breath in the bedroom that we slept in you know the the windows weren't mm-hmm. insulated well or anything so anyway i'm saying that because just it was a lot harder than than i thought it was going to be but after about a year something sort of broke my husband got a job and then A couple of years after that, um, he had this offer to pastor, finally, a dream come true for him. In my heart, I didn't really think we were ready for it, but it's one of those things that you probably are never really ready for. So uh, we took ourselves to this little town, little seaside town, and um, we were pastoring. I think about the second year into it, my health started deteriorating, and
0: my husband's
1: health started deteriorating too, so it was bad enough that it was mine, but... I could see us both becoming...
0: And so how old were
1: your children at that time? I think my daughter was... When we moved down there, I think she was four and my son was two. Mm-hmm. So they were little. Um, she started preschool that next year. Or he start, she started kindergarten the next year, and then he started preschool, mm-hmm. my little boy. Um, and, you know, I, I... I knew by then, because we had done nonprofit work before that. I knew by then a little bit that I needed to have boundaries, um, and so I tried to implement things like being really strict about our day off. And um, on the other days, people I let I let the word out that people were welcome to come and visit me like after 11 or 12. I can't remember what time I had a time that people could come and visit and stop in and the British are just lovely when for them the social aspect of getting together it's it's a little bit more spontaneous than here where we are accustomed to calling ahead of time and making sure you're home they would be just a little bit more now I don't know if this was just that because we were in a smaller town mm-hmm. smaller city um but people did it in London as well so that's why I'm thinking it was probably more of a cultural thing and I loved that I loved that people would be driving on their way to the store and just think I I should just pop in and check on her and have a cup of tea and so they so I loved that about the culture but I knew that after a while that would probably like I need space as well so I, I implemented um, boundaries around that but and we did we we tried to have our days off and things like that but um but yeah so i finally i was i was getting to the point where i needed to go to the doctors and the doctor told me that i had a very stressful job <laughs> which i didn't think it was any more stressful than anybody else's but um he informed me that i probably needed um antidepressants or something like that in order to keep functioning. And so I thought, I thought, well, you know, if that's really what I need to do, then I, I'm going to listen to the professional and, and go ahead with that. But I'd like to try first taking back, you know, having some control over that and so um, I didn't want to just go. Okay, let's do that. I wanted to have some power over that decision in, in a way. Does that make sense? You mm-hmm. know, before I decided that, I thought, well, let me just see if there's something that I can adjust or or implement or do a better job of to for myself. Which to...
0: especially makes sense when it seems to be situational. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. instead of people who have like a chronic
1: issue when you're like oh or or something very tragic Mm -hmm. you know like if if it had come right after the death of a loved one or Mm -hmm. something like that I probably would have thought okay you know chemical imbalance probably I need to do this to to really get back to where I need to be but I had these two small kids and this was my driving motivation for trying to figure it out in a kind of a alternative way oh, yeah thank you alternative way so i um i talked to a couple of people that i felt like i could trust they were a counselor and uh one other friend and they gave me a couple of uh booklets on on just uh, taking care of yourself emotionally when you're a caregiver. And so even though not everything applied to me, when I read it, an awful lot did. And um it was it was just it was the perfect time for me to get information like that. And I realized, mmm, I need some moves here. I need to I need to take care of myself better. And um so that was the beginning. That was a huge shift in you know, me thinking, prior to that, me thinking, oh, I, I'm pretty healthy, I have good boundaries, I'm, you know, pretty emotionally stable. In that in that period of time, that short period of time, I realized, okay, need to up the ante on this and take it a little more seriously than just my day off and my mornings that I had for myself. So um, that's when I began really trying to think creatively about how can I make my home environment a place of refuge for myself and not just this functional living space. So that's when, I mean, in my book, I talk about the fairy lights, um, thanks to my really good friend in England who gave me that idea. In fact, she did it for me. She strung fairy lights in my kitchen and I bought candles and I put a CD player inside my kitchen, um, you know, things like that. So that was the biggest um shift that i made and then several years ago had another enormous shift in my self-care when we had um uh, several several deaths in our family and our friendships and um and then a huge departure from this church that we had been a part of that was pretty painful so i would say those were the two biggest shifts that I had in taking care of myself and then now um,
0: now you and your husband Phil are working with anti-human trafficking which has got to be like when you guys do work trips (laughs) 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 you know I just I'm always trained to imagine Mm Mm-hmm what it takes to meet the people that you meet, mm-hmm. and to hear the stories that you hear, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and you know, I think we've joked about it when we've been together with our friends before. I remember there was a night that we were at we we were all together teaching at Tea House last year, mm-hmm. and we were there with our friends Phyllis Mathis and Jolie Gillibo. And we were talking about this very thing because we were saying, like, it really takes something. I think people think that, um, Liz Lambert said the other day in a phone call, she was like, people think that self-care is, like, this light, fluffy thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it's actually, like, you have to be pretty hardcore. Like, there's this element where you ha- you have to be mm-hmm. a little bit fierce about it. Because some part of your brain is comparing your needs mm-hmm. in your life with the suffering that you're seeing in others. Yes. And it's hard to know that, like, 14 year old girls are being trafficked at your truck stop
1: mm-hmm.
0: near your home. Mm-hmm. But even though that's happening, it's still important for you to stop and drink your cup of mm-hmm. tea. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yes. We tend to think that the one need outweighs the other, and that's where we get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Is that we say, "Well, my children really need me, Mm -hmm. or my parents really need me." You know, the need overwhelms us, and then we don't feel justified, Mm -hmm. or it feels we do this guilt trip thing, don't we, with ourselves? Yeah, Yeah. and and what we need feels so small, Mm
1: -hmm. like hmm In comparison. To need mm-hmm. to rub
0: oil into your feet. feels mm-hmm. So fluffy mm-hmm. in comparison to mm-hmm. needing to be rescued. Right. From a tragic right. situation. Right, right. Yeah.
1: So... And I'm really... I'm grateful that my journey... That my journey was the way it was. In the sense that... Had you told me in my 20s... That... My husband was going to be involved in anti-human trafficking... Although there would have been this huge part of me that would have been, yes, yes, let's, you know, I for sure am, I'm, I'm all in on that. At that time, I, I wouldn't have realized just how heavy that it would be and how it would take its toll on us emotionally and psychologically. Um. But this way, you see by... By having this small church and being concerned with the cares of these these people and their journeys, there were some heavy things that we had to deal with. People people are broken. They're hurting. They've they've had pain, you know horrible, painful things happen in their lives that they share with their pastors. Um, and there were times where I would just be crying because I would be thinking, "Oh my gosh, you know, my life has been a picnic." compare it to this person but but it's sort of having it that way around and now as I'm older doing the the human trafficking stuff it just it's the right way around does that make sense but I can't imagine the guilt that I would have had back then the guilt that you're talking about and that conversation that you have in your head I don't think I would have won against trafficking situation you know that scenario in back then in my 20s and early 30s whereas now this side of it I'm old enough to go wait a minute you knew back then that to take care of your children and your husband and the people that you cared about in your church required some fierceness about boundaries about time about taking care of yourself how much more now so I'm not saying that that doesn't come, it does, it goes through my head, but it's just I'm a little stronger and Liz is right, you, it's it's a it's paradox, the right word I'm looking for, it's it's this tension between trying to be calm and relaxed about your self-care and not being intense and crazy about it and erotic about it, But but yeah. You have to That's be a little fierce. You have to be a little fierce about it because if you if you do this thing with your head where you are willing to negotiate or go, okay, well I'll do it tomorrow, or I can I can do it, you know. And you can you can I can go a couple of days without doing everything, but but the point is, at some point, not doing it takes its toll. Mm-hmm. It takes its toll, and so it's just not worth it anymore. It's not worth getting to the end of the week and going, oh. I didn't do my yoga. I didn't do my meditation. I didn't, you know, I didn't do my oils. I didn't take care of myself. I didn't eat properly this week or it's just not worth it now. And so, so that's the good thing about being this side of my journey and going, okay, old enough, (laughs) experienced enough to know you have to be firm with this. This is not negotiable. This isn't something like, oh, I shouldn't really wear that color, but I'm going to go ahead and do it today. (laughs) You know, it's not like that. I have to I have to be strong about it. And so... And I think a lot of
0: the things that... In our own journeys and experiences, the things that we've found to be nourishing and that make a difference, one of the things I've come up against when I talk to other people about it or when I just engage <sighs> in the culture around us... Mm-hmm is that those things for most people fall under the realm of luxury. Like, it must... Like, one thing I can't really go that long without are, like, good heart-to-heart conversations with friends mm-hmm. over the phone. Mm-hmm. And, like, I really need that mm-hmm. mentally,
1: emotionally. Yes. But you need the, to know that connection people, is still there. and yeah.
0: But there are people for whom they would think... Oh my gosh! An hour-long phone call with a mm-hmm. friend is a luxury. Like, who has time for that? Mm-hmm. But
1: um, yes, I see what you're saying.
0: Or who has time for a daily cup of tea? Like, mm-hmm. it feels like a luxury, thing. right? And I guess I think about my family of origin, even, and their people's idea about work and work ethic. And it was like things you did. There was this martyrdom, and that you, yeah, self-care was dessert and you had to eat your vegetables first. You had to get all your chores done and everything crossed off your list, and then you could do something <laughs> right. for yourself.
1: Like sit and read a book for an hour or something. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a luxury. Right. And that you can earn that if right. you work extra hard. Like you can go on vacation if you work extra hard the week before <laughs> right. and the week you get back.
1: Right. Um, like practically kill yourself.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Um. But I think what we're saying and part of why I really was so passionate about you gathering your stories and your wisdom into ritual and rhythm so that people could hold it in their hands and have it in their lives, is that what we're really talking about is taking those nourishing things and moving them mentally from the realm of luxury into the realm of necessity. mm mm-hmm. And I think, like, one of my mantras, one of the most helpful things to remind me when I'm having that guilt moment mm-hmm. of, can I really be doing this because I haven't mm-hmm. gotten everything crossed off my list, mm-hmm. the laundry's still not put away, can mm-hmm. I really sit down, is I think about when you fly and how the flight attendants always say, when they talk about the oxygen mask, Yes. to put on your own oxygen yes. mask before assisting someone else. Mm-hmm. And so I've even learned, like, when I tidy up the apartment,
1: mm-hmm.
0: this is one of my moves that I've learned just from listening to that wisdom about oxygen yes. mask. Is that before when I would clean the apartment, I would start with my kids' room or our common spaces like the living room, but not everyone I'm related to is equally enrolled <laughs> in having the. They're environment not all on board with the you, way I like to have right? And so what I really decided was I need to start with my space first, my dresser, my desk, my studio. So mm-hmm. it's like my studio, my bedroom, like my refuge spots. Mm-hmm. And then if I have time and energy left over, then I do theirs because it doesn't bother them if it doesn't get done right. the way it bothers right. me. But um, I think that's part of what we're talking about, yes. right, is making that yep. shift. But I think it's hard. I think it's particular. I think it's hard for anyone who's in – Caregiving occupations mm-hmm. or a caregiving situation in their family.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And for a lot of women, they are in some, they have that in their life somehow. Right. They're caring for parents, right. for children, for friends, for sisters. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we're, when it comes to self care, I feel like women are like a vulnerable population mm-hmm. because. There are so many people who tend to rely on us in so many roles we play.
1: Yes. Well, and and it sort of goes back to this thing about I think the mentality of feeling selfish or self-centered, right. and we all see the um, we all see the examples of the diva type person who we are equally attracted and disturbed by um, when we see them in the news as a celebrity figure or something, let's say. Um, And so there's a... I think that that's what's going on with uh, with us a lot of times is that we think that if we are choosing the 20-minute bath over the dishes or the ironing or something, that that's reinforcing the selfish side of us that um feels like we deserve something and we're entitled to something and i i i just want to address to to a lot of people they they aren't feel that's not their life they aren't living their lives of entitlement and that they deserve something and that a lot of people are working really hard They're doing. They're wearing four or five different hats. They're juggling all these balls, and they're stressed out. And the scary thing is that unless you stop, you don't know how stressed you are. You don't know how neurotic you're being. You don't know how unhealthy you're being. And so, what 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 I did to help me with that, so that I wasn't feeling. So I was shifting it from this I'm being selfish or self-centered to, okay, wait a minute. But the, the truth is that if I don't do this, I'm going to be a crazy person. Right. I'm going to be saying crazy things. I'm going to be thinking crazy thoughts. And I don't mean crazy like fun. I mean crazy like unhealthy. And is that is that really where I want to go? Where... I can't see it because I'm so busy but the people around me are going to know it and see it and have to partake of it. And so for me at least, it—that that is what helped me to 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 change it from, okay, wait a minute, this in fact is not selfish and self-centered, this is the best thing that I can possibly do if I really care about the people around me and I'm saying that I want to serve them and help them and love on them or whatever then it starts with me mm-hmm. it starts with how I do that and and okay so maybe once in a while I'm going to decide something and maybe it'll my motivation will be self-centered and selfish but most of the time that's not what it's that's not what it is and that's not how it's going to be and the benefits to the people who I love the most so outweighs I, I mean, my kids, my kids know now when I'm not taking care of myself. Like, you know, my my son will come up to me and go, "Mom, are you? Oh, do you need a hug?" <laughs> That's his way of like, "Mom, have you <laughs> taken time for yourself? Are you okay?" You know, <laughs> my daughter's a lot more in, intuitive and and recognizes it a lot quicker. But um, and my husband's really good too. He's yeah. on board with it too. So, but. Yeah, does that does that make sense like shifting this thinking and this mentality from and this is this is the problem with people who do serve and you if you're a mommy, you're a wife, you're a partner, you know, you're a teacher. You know, you're you're the kind of person who's drawn to helping people. So you're automatically your first reaction is probably going to be that's that seems a little selfish. Seems a little self-absorbed, seems a little, you know. And what I what I'm trying to tell people is think about this like stop and think about it if you're taking care of yourself in a really good healthy way that's not selfish Mm. you're doing the best thing that you can possibly do for those people that you're saying that you love and care about Mm. and so well and another thing that i
0: i felt very fortunate um I felt very fortunate over the years to have you being a voice of reason and guidance as I've been navigating my own life and you know we met before I even had kids Mm -hmm. and you've known me all through early childhood with them Mm -hmm. and through different parts of my work journey Mm -hmm. too and one of the things that's been so helpful is that Your practices are so simple and so easy to implement. It's not like, okay, you need to go out and buy this $100 worth of special gear. (laughs)
1: Right. At
0: the health spa or, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, if you just do this 90-minute workout video every day, Mm -hmm. you know, but it, it was, they were always like things I could really put into practice mm-hmm. or conversations I could have
1: mm-hmm.
0: with my partner that where it was a, a very simple change mm-hmm. in our daily routine right, that suddenly opened up so much space for me mm-hmm. so I think that's the other thing is people worry that they're going to have to overhaul their whole entire life existence they don't realize I could literally shift 8 minutes of my day right, and I would feel like a new person
1: yeah, well, and we were just talking about this when when we arrived here, right? We were talking about how the American culture is so used to being told, this is how you do this. This is how you'll be successful. This is how you'll be beautiful. This is how, and oh, by the way, it's only going to cost you $1,500. <gasps> you know, this is our yeah. American culture, that that we have people out there who who... Are tell will are willing to tell us what we need, and then by the way, if we just pay seven hundred dollars, or you know, the book that they have it, you know, it's you or know take what I'm saying.
0: Quiz about your body type, and then <laughs> we will show you how you need to buy our specialty exactly, our our or special vitamins candles. or whatever.
1: Yeah, and and my thing is, as you know, I mean, working in nonprofit, it's you we don't have excess amounts of money to go okay. I'm going to put that $1,000 into my (laughs) self-care toolbox, right? I have to do this on 50 bucks or less. (laughs) And and the friends that I'm around, the the other nonprofit friends that I'm around, they live like this too. And they actually are in your kind of age. A lot of my friends are in your age bracket Mm -hmm. where they have young children. And so even if you have two really good incomes, if you have young children, you have expenses that are not the same as if you you just it was you and your partner. And so so everybody's trying to be careful especially in this economy and I just feel like, you know, if it's honest and true, then I should be able to get a hold of it
0: mm-hmm. rather easily. Yeah.
1: It should be provided for me and and I want to be able to to do that for other people. I want to be able to put tools in their hands that it, aren't going to cost them. to do Mm -hmm. and so and each person is different so for me I mean you have these beautiful candles lit for me right now and the lights are dimmed But for some people that would drive them crazy Mm -hmm. So it's my solutions aren't gonna be your solutions or another person's solutions And that's the great thing too is that I can't put a price tag on it for you or for anybody else because they have to figure out for themselves what those tools are and how to implement it into their lives and this brings me to another important thing about self-care and that is that you you sort of need to be committed to finding yourself if if you aren't it's probably going to be a little tougher for you to just start implementing and and doing moves on on taking care of yourself because Part of part of what has to take place is that you have to stop long enough to figure some of this stuff out for yourself.
0: Mm.
1: I can't give you a list that says if you buy fairy lights, if you buy candles, if you put soundtrack music on, that this is going to work for you and you're going to feel so relaxed that it's going to change your life. I can't promise that. It's going to require some time, some excavation in in a person's own journey and walk and soul and to go, to uncover and, mm-hmm. and experimentation, which requires time um, and a little bit of effort to figure out. So for you to figure out that an hour's conversation is something that you need, that took a little bit of time for you to figure that out. That wasn't just something that you probably woke up one morning and went, this is a way of taking care of myself. You probably figured it out rather slowly.
0: You have slowly. to live with it. You have to live without exactly. it. You have to figure. Yeah, exactly. it's true. And so that's, that's,
1: that's part of what, that's an important part of mm-hmm. what needs to be said in order yeah. for it to fully work for somebody is that you have to take some time for yourself to figure to out. To know yourself. To know yourself. And that's something, you don't just unpack that overnight or in even in a week. Even in a year it's taken me a few years to figure some things out some things came rather quickly some things have not
0: and one thing I love about the way you put um the practices and the stories together in the book is that you tell about your experience early on and how you developed certain moves and how later on they didn't cut it Mm -hmm. you know and how then there are things that those aren't that isn't enough. So then what next? Right. And you really take people on your journey and you give them enough ideas mm-hmm. um, that they have a variety of things to experiment with right. and to try from your own experience. Right. But it also teaches them how to think about
1: for themselves for
0: themselves mm-hmm. and to maybe create their own version. And I think it's one thing I appreciate because instead of we we want people to do something to us. We want to slide in on the operating Mm -hmm. board.
1: Be fixed. Mm -hmm. Be
0: fixed. And we read books and we go to workshops in this very passive mode. Like if we just are with the right person and we hear the right three steps, we'll be all better. Mm -hmm. But what you're talking about, and in my experience, it's more trustworthy. It's more true because Mm -hmm. you're not saying... I have the magic formula. Mm -hmm. But what you're teaching people is, here's how to be on a journey.
1: Mm -hmm. To figure it out.
0: That is really about you. Mm -hmm. And, you know? Mm -hmm. And that you can't just go in and slap band-aids on Mm -hmm. and say, well, she said to play this kind of music.
1: (laughs) Right. It's not working for me.
0: (laughs) And not being being Mm self-aware enough to be dialed into creating your own solutions Mm -hmm. too
1: and and the incredible results of that are that you you live you begin to live a way a a way more integrated life your your outlook your paradigm your your choices, everything about your life begins to sort of shift Mm. and become, um, I want to say safer, but I don't know if that's a completely accurate word, but it's, it's, it's almost as if there's this, um, solidness now Mm. that I feel inside of me, a groundedness that I feel where I just I feel as though I'm a more authentic honest person than I was 20 years ago because I taking time for myself in a healthy way and unpacking you know things in my in my soul and kind of looking at them and examining them has made me kind of see what's what's honest and true about that and what were things that I were that I was doing because I felt I had to or because I needed to or we're always going to have obligations in our life and responsibilities. I'm not talking about getting away from that stuff, but but you know what I'm talking about, the the extra stuff that you take on that you don't really need to take on and is not your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like in some ways the reason why my husband and I can handle such heavy intense work is because there's parts of us that feel safer like I feel safer being with myself and safer and he feels safer being who he is because we've had some of this stuff other stuff stripped away Mm -hmm. that didn't need to be there and Mm -hmm. wasn't really healthy and so but that took time and it takes time and it takes a continue a continued amount of time to do it and so that's just a, i mean that's that wasn't a goal in self-care that that wasn't a goal but but it was a and it's been a natural outcome and result of taking care of myself does that make sense if i i hope that makes sense because yeah. you know it's just um it's something that i I started journaling about one day and realized wow I, I I feel that I feel this integratedness about my head and my heart that I never have felt before in such a way you know such a strong way and um, and that was a deeply satisfying realization because it was something that I saw when I was in my early 20s I realized I needed work on. I didn't know how to just make that happen. I knew it wasn't going to be pixie dust. So so to be at this end at this side and go wow, that's there now. Mm-hmm. But some of that was choices I had to make. It wasn't something that somebody else could just fix for me.
0: Really daily choices. Yeah. And so this is what I think that it ends up being, you know, this, the collection with ritual and rhythm is, it's more like having a good friend who's telling you, hey, it's okay. This is what you need. Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Mm -hmm. The way we do with good friends. Mm -hmm. And, um... And I think for me, I just felt like it's too good that I have someone like this doing this for me in my life. And I want other people to have this in some way. (laughs) And I was like, please, (laughs) please, please please write this book. Write this book. (laughs) Thanks so much for talking to us today, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retrospective. I'm your host, Jen Lee. Meet me back here for more conversations and stories about where we are and how we got here on Retrospective.